Hi guys. Um, okay, so I'm going to do something a little bit different on this episode uh, with everything that happened in the NFL on Monday night. Um, I'll back it up a little bit, but I had recorded a full episode as I usually do on Sunday night. I recorded a recap. It was raw emotional reaction about the Jets um, and then talking about all the playoff stuff. And I accidentally deleted the file. I was ready to post that episode and I accidentally somehow deleted all the files. <laughs> um, and so I didn't post that episode. And then I was going to wait till after the Monday night game to uh, redo it and post it, including a recap of Monday night football. And then what happened in Monday night football happened. And so at this point, um, I'm still, I still have the notes. I still have everything I want to talk about in regards to the NFL, what we saw this past week, what might happen in the final week of the season. There's lots of playoff implications. Uh, But I didn't really feel like talking about it on this episode, um, as you can imagine. So what we're going to do is I'm going to try and talk a little bit about DeMar Hamlin and about what happened and about my perspective of things. Because at first I was like, who am I to talk about it? What's this? You know, Um, but I don't think it would be fair to me and I don't think it would be giving my platform justice if I didn't talk about it because the reason I have a microphone the reason I give myself a platform is so that I can talk about things openly and honestly and if I can't talk about something like this that goes beyond sports that goes beyond football without feeling like oh who am I I'm just a little sports podcaster who cares what you have to say then this whole thing is meaningless and pointless so having this platform and having the people like you who listen, um, I want to share my thoughts. I didn't write anything down. It's going to be raw emotion. And then I have a couple other things I'm going to share on the episode. I'm going to do NBA. I decided to just shift, not talk about football so much um, because talking about things and you know talking about how upset I am over the Jets or something like that seems silly after this. Um, I will play one piece about the Jets because I fear that by the time I do talk about the Jets, which probably won't be till Thursday night, Um, By the time I do recap what happened on Sunday, it won't be as raw emotion, but I did have a phone call that I recorded with my father uh, that was right after the game. So I'm going to put that in this episode after I talk about DeMar Hamlin, and then I'm going to talk about the NBA and recap what uh, has been going on over the last couple weeks in the NBA. It's been a really fun stretch for the league. And so we'll talk about all that, and then there'll be football on Friday's episode. So uh, hope you enjoy this episode kind of weird circumstances to be talking about sports in general, kind of weird circumstances that my episode got deleted on Sunday, um, but kind of, I think, worked out in a way that's best. Um, And I'm looking forward to doing this episode and talking about uh, what we saw in the NFL on Monday night. It's a tragedy, but I think there were some special things that happened also in the sports world on Monday night. And it's part of what I love so much about sports. And uh, I'm going to talk about that and more coming up. Coming up on the Rami Lavie podcast, I opened by talking about my perspective of the DeMar Hamlin situation and what we saw in the NFL and across the sports world over the last 24 hours. I then transitioned to a piece that I recorded on Sunday night after the Jets were eliminated, me and my father talking about 
the Jets being eliminated yet again from playoff contention. They now have the second to longest streak of a team that has not made the playoffs outside of the Sacramento Kings, who look like they're going to break that streak this year in the four major sports. Speaking of the Sacramento Kings, I did a whole basketball segment, talked about where we are currently as we hit the new year in the NBA season, talked about the Eastern Conference, talked about the Western Conference. Is there more parity than ever? Do we have a finals favorite? I don't know. All that and so much more coming up next on the Rami Levy Podcast. Stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One of the things I talk about on this podcast a lot is the stigma against mental health. I think, unfortunately, there has been a stigma, but we're slowly breaking it. And if you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, or maybe you just want to talk to someone, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help access your specific needs and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours plus you can exchange unlimited text messages and everything you share is completely confidential so i talk about on this podcast how your mindset towards things changes everything one of the things that i learned in therapy was that join the two million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced better help therapist get 10 percent off your first month at betterhelp.com slash rami that's my first name that's better help b-e-t-t-e-r H-E-L-P dot com slash R-A-M-I, my first name, Rami. If you use that link, the link is in the description, in the podcast notes. If you use that link, you'll get 10% off and it'll also help me out. So please do that. I'm telling you it's worth it. Do it today. Welcome back to the Rami LaVi podcast, episode 124. And as you heard by now... Uh, I accidentally deleted a full episode on Monday morning before posting it. And so that leaves us here where we are, where I haven't done a recap of this week in the NFL, this past week in the NFL, this past weekend. Um, It's already Wednesday as you are listening to this. It's late Tuesday night as I'm recording this. Uh, But since then, like I said, in the open, a lot has transpired. And so I'm going to shift a little bit. And I hope you guys don't mind. And I hope you bear with me if you're here for the football content. I think this is every bit as important, if not more. If you're here uh, for just because you listen to me, I appreciate you as always. I appreciate everyone who listens. And shout out, obviously, BetterHelp. Um, They are a great sponsor of ours, um, Anchor as well. And obviously, we'll talk more about the NFL on Friday's episode, big week 18 coming up around the league. Uh, But before we do any of that, uh, I don't think it's right to just move on and plow through without talking about what happened on Monday night. So I'm going to take it from the top. Um, I'm going to give it to you from my perspective. Uh, It started Monday night, sat down for Monday night football like anyone else. I was ready to watch what should have been one of the best games of the year. Uh, It's the Cincinnati Bengals. It's the Buffalo Bills, the two two of the three best teams in the AFC. Two of the teams that, when you look at them, you're like, 
oh, those are two of the three teams that can win the Super Bowl, that can win the AFC. We're talking about the one seed. We're talking about Joe Burrow and the run he's been on and the run this team has been on, the winning streak they've been on. Buffalo looks like they're finally getting it together. These are two of the best young quarterbacks in the game today. And all the implications, all the hype, Joe Buck and Aikman on the call felt like this was going to be the biggest game. This was going to rival Bills Chiefs of last year in the playoffs. This was going to have the greatest ratings. This was going to be an all-timer. And the game started that way as Cincinnati marches right down the field. They score on the opening drive. They take the ball first. Tyler Boyd gets the touchdown. Joe Burrow started the game 5-for-5, over 50 yards passing. It was boom, 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 like nothing happened. It looked so easy on the Bills' defense early, and then Josh Allen gets the ball, and it's his turn. He comes right down the field as well, but Buffalo does not convert. Cincinnati gets a big stop. They kick a field goal, by the way, the atmosphere in the stadium. Once I started watching that game, I was like, oh my God, Cincinnati might blow them out in this game because of how the atmosphere in that stadium, everyone was ready to explode. The place was going nuts. It felt like a playoff game. Cincinnati gets the ball back for their second drive. They're driving. It's about five minutes to go in the first quarter and a pass over the middle to T. Higgins at about the 48-yard line. He lowers his shoulder and hits DeMar Hamlin. DeMar Hamlin was going to make a tackle and it looked like a routine football play. Um, Sitting on my couch at home, I'm watching it. And I see a routine football play, and he I, I didn't see what happens at first. It's another guy who goes down, and unfortunately, we're conditioned to this in the NFL. When we watch sports, when we watch football in general, we see guys go down all the time. We see trainers running out. We see stretchers. And it's not until they go to one commercial break, and then a second, and then you see the ambulance, and then you see everything that was talked about, the human wall of players, and Joe Buck saying that they're doing CPR on the field. And all of a sudden, all those things that seem to have mattered so much moments before, all of a sudden don't matter as much anymore. All of a sudden, it becomes secondary. All of a sudden, you see a video of a guy standing up and then just collapsing on the ground in DeMar Hamlin. Um, This is a kid. He's my age. He's young. He's got his whole life ahead of him. And you see the... The way the players were crying, um, the both players, the Bills and the Bengals, you see the fans' reaction, um, you see the rush and the way the the staff, the medical staff, was the, the desperation in their eyes and their faces in the ambulance, and it's something that I, I've been watching sports my whole life. I've never seen this. I've seen guys knocked unconscious. I've seen. The concussion, the scary stuff with the concussions this year, I've seen guys get paralyzed. I've seen guys tear ACLs. I've seen every kind of injury. I've never seen this. I've never seen a guy fighting for his life on a football field in that way. Um, And I thought ESPN, because I'm not sure what direction to go with this, but I thought ESPN deserves a ton of credit because they're reacting to all this in the moment the way we are as well at home. And the job that Joe Buck and Troy Aikman and Lisa Salters and Booger McFarlane, Susie Kolber, Adam Schefter, I mean, what those people, and of course, don't forget Ryan Clark and Scott Van Pelt, what those people were able to do in the moment and just the way that Ryan Clark was there. And I I mentioned this to a few friends of mine, how 
I actually was on the phone with Ryan Clark last week. I called him. I was producing the afternoon show here in Baltimore. And I picked up the phone like I always do. I said, hey, it's Rami from The Fan. You ready for your spot on the air? And most people are like, yeah, I'm ready to go. That's it. That's the conversation. It's not supposed to be much of a conversation. That's the job. And Ryan goes, hey, Rami, how do you spell your name? And I say, R-A-M-I. He said, I have my nephew with me right here. His name's Rami also. And we started talking for a minute. And he actually asked how I'm doing. And he seemed to care about me. And he just seemed like a genuinely good dude. And it was a two-minute conversation. And it didn't seem like much, but it was more than was expected. It was more than the dozens of other people that I've called and asked them if they're ready to go on the air for their spot. And he just seemed like a really good dude. But what he said last night was so perfect in the moment. What he said on, and I just have to play it because I don't think I do it justice by saying what he said. So here it is. Ryan Clark is with us, and Ryan, uh, this is this is as heavy as it gets. Yeah. Uh, this is a night we look forward to, mm-hmm. uh, and now here we sit. And I just ask, as a member of this brotherhood, as a, as a guy who dealt with his own health issues and scares, uh, what words can we even put to this? What, what would I you share? The, I think the, f- the first thing this is this um this is about Demar Hamlin, mm-hmm. and um, it's about a young man at 24 years old that was living his dream, that a few hours ago was getting ready to play the biggest game of his NFL career, and there was probably nowhere else in the world he wanted to be. And now he fights for his life. And when DeMar Hamlin falls to the turf, and when you see the medical staff rush to the field and both teams are on the field, you realize this isn't normal. You realize this isn't just football. And so many times in this game, and in our job as well, we use the cliches. You know, I'm ready to die for this. I'm willing to give my life for this. It's, it's time to go to war. And I think sometimes we use those things so much, we forget that part of living this dream is putting your life at risk. And tonight, you know, we got to see a side of football that is extremely ugly, a side of football that no one ever, that side of football that no one ever wants to see mm-hmm. or never wants to admit exists. When you see both teams on the field crying in that way, your first thought is DeMar Hamlin. Yep. The second thought is his family. And this isn't about a football player, right? This is about a human. This is about a brother. This is about a son. This is about a friend. This is about someone who is loved by so many that you have to watch go through this. I, um, I dealt with this before. And I watched my teammates for days come to my hospital bed and just cry. I had them call me and tell me that they didn't think I was going to make it. And now this team has to deal with that and they have no answers. Mm -hmm. And so the next time I think that we get upset at our favorite fantasy player (laughs) or we're we're upset that the, the guy on our team doesn't make the play and we're saying he's worthless and we're saying you get to make all this money, we should remember that these men are putting their lives on the line to live their dream. And tonight, DeMar Hamlin's dream became a nightmare for not only himself, but his family and his entire team. It wasn't just him, though, and I agree with every word he said. You don't expect to be going on that field and it for it to be the last thing that you ever do. And it's not just that. It puts so many things in perspective. Like I said, all of a sudden, all the details of the game didn't matter anymore. In daily life, we never expect 
that anything that we're doing is all of a sudden maybe the last thing we're doing. And yeah, I know that's harsh. I know that's kind of like a strong thing to think about. And not a lot of people are going to spend their lives thinking about that. But it's why I try and pursue doing what I love. It's why Damar Hamlin was pursuing doing what he loved. And like I said, how everything transpired the whole night, I stayed just staring at my TV watching until Scott Van Pelt signed off. And that was it. And I saw the same images over and over again. I saw the same updates from the hospital over and over again. They had Stephen A. Smith on. But Scott Van Pelt, just, I just had to watch. I couldn't take my eyes off it because it was just something I was almost just stuck in place. Like I didn't know what, to, what else to do. And there were a lot of people who wanted to do something, who wanted to help, who wanted to help in some way. And the number one thing that jumped out at me in all this was that with everything that goes on in the world and all the terrible things, sports has a way of bringing people together. And the unity that we saw between the Buffalo Bills, the Cincinnati Bengals, the fans in the crowd, the personalities on TV, the people on social media, the people online, the people who found Damar Hamlin's charity on GoFundMe from a couple years ago that had a goal of $2,500 and had over $5 million raised in just one day. People like Robert Kraft and Tom Brady and other NFL teams donating. Unbelievable stuff what you saw. The unity, the way everyone came together. Yes, there's the 1% of the trolls on Twitter who are either blaming the vaccine, blaming Skip Bayless for saying something stupid. And while I believe he did say something stupid, it's not about that. Taking shots at the NFL for waiting too long, quote unquote, to call the game. The NFL was in an impossible situation. And the way everyone handled it, I thought was as good as you can handle a situation like that. It started with Joe and Troy, continued with Scott and Ryan Clark, continued obviously with Lisa Salters, continued with the crew in the studio that they had in New York as well, with Susie Kolber, Adam Schefter, and, and Booger McFarlane. But it was everything, everything you heard, everything you read, not you, Bart Scott, everyone else that you heard and read was so positive and so just saying the right things and caring about this kid and people wanted to do the right things and fanatics, what they did, all, they want all proceeds, 100% of proceeds if you buy a, a DeMar Hamlin jersey to go directly to his charity, to go directly to his family to help them. Stefan Diggs, a teammate, going to the hospital, taking an Uber himself to the hospital from the stadium to go be with his teammate. I mean, everything that you heard reminds you that there's this community here that we create with sports. It's a reason why I connect to it. It's a reason why all of us connect to it is because there is this unity that we have around something as stupid and silly and maybe elementary as sports. But when you pull all those things away, like we did last night, because everything fell away immediately, that bond is still there. All of a sudden, when everything falls to the side, when the playoff implications, when the game, when Joe Burrow's MVP, when your futures bet, I'm talking to myself, or your parlays on the game, when all that stuff falls aside, what you have left is the bond and the connection that you created with strangers that you don't know across the country and across, across the globe because you were united for one dumb thing maybe but now you're united for something else and that's that bond I believe is real and that goes beyond anything and 
humans want to feel a part of something. They want to feel like they're together in something. And in a time of tragedy, it's a shame that it took that. But we saw how 99% of people feel like they're more alike than not and feel like we want to be there for each other more than not. And we want to help each other more than not. And so the people who, whether it's T Higgins or just somebody watching who's having a traumatic reaction to that and you wanted to reach out to a friend to talk about it, people who felt helpless and wanted to do something. So they went and bought a Jersey of his or the people who are the family and DeMar Hamlin and the people closest to him who are still going through it right now, not knowing what's going to happen. All those people. I mean, it goes to Dan Orlovsky praying on live TV today. All those people just had one common goal and one common thing in mind. And in a world that seems so divided at times, we need more of that. And it's the power of sports. It's the power of all these things. And yeah, you could think about all the different aspects of it. If this happened in Jacksonville between the Titans and Jags at a one o'clock game on a Sunday with 12 other games going on, would it have this reaction? No. If this happened in minor league baseball, which or I should say little league baseball, I think it happened. A similar story happened earlier this year. Would it have the same reaction? Probably not. But we saw it on a national stage. We saw it on a game that was going to be one of the most watched and anticipated games of the year. And I think it was important that it happened on that stage. It should never happen. Don't get me wrong. But the fact that it happened on that stage brought out the best in everyone, in my opinion, and showed us what we're capable of. And I'd love to see more of it because that's what it draws me to sports. And I think it's what draws other people and all the different stuff and the dynamics of the game. I don't think the game will be finished unless it absolutely needs to be finished Um, for playoff purposes. What they can do is push that game back and have that with the NFC playoff games in the first week. And then the second week of the NFC of the NFL playoffs would be uh, only AFC playoffs and then make it all up and just knock out the bye week between the Super Bowl and uh, and the AFC and NFC championship games. So that's that's how you complete that game. And that's all I'm going to say about that game. Um, but everything beyond that game was in, out in full force and in such a positive way by every media outlet you looked at, nearly every person on social media all the people around the world that you could just see that I mean the five million dollars raised the jerseys bought the number one jersey in women's jerseys in the NFL today on this season is a DeMar Hamlin jersey that's not fake that's something real that's people who just want to do something that's the people of Cincinnati going to the hospital and praying outside the hospital so as I say this we know how the news cycle works the news will fade We'll talk less and less about it as we get to the weekend. We'll hear a lot about it, but the games will continue. But we don't know what's going on with this kid right now. Like I said, he's a kid. He's my age. Keep him in your thoughts. Keep him in your prayers, but also keep the unity. Keep the togetherness that we saw from something like this. Do a random act of kindness. Do something that is not for you. is for someone else that brings unity to the world because... That's what we need right now, and that's what, you know, I think that's the point of all this in the end of the day anyway. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't have much else to say. 
I'm going to kind of lighten it up because that's what I do. I, I, I don't take myself too, too too seriously. I don't take this podcast. I don't try and be like one of those super serious sports talk shows. I just try and have fun and make light of sports because that's what it's there for. So this is going to be one hell of a transition. But I spoke after the Jets game to my father after the Jets were eliminated yet again um, in the playoffs and knocked out as they always are. Um, in dramatic fashion, inventing ways to lose as they always do. Um, and my father and I talked about it. So I'm going to play that here. And then when I come back, I'm going to talk about the NBA and wrap up the episode. But I wanted to put this in this episode, even though it kind of seems over dramatic and stupid. But I wanted to keep this in this episode because I wanted to talk about, um, I wanted to have my raw reaction to the Jets because, by, like I said, by the time I talk about the Jets on Thursday, it's going to be, you know, I've had days to process it already and all that and so much has transpired since then. So here is my immediate, it was Sunday night, we had a phone call during Sunday night football, immediate raw reaction to the Jets being eliminated and where they go from here, my father and I discussed, here it is. Joining me now, it's the official eulogy, my father on the phone. <laughs> for the eulogy of the jet season uh it's over and we've talked about it all along it's the same old jets um yeah not much to say what do you got well uh first of all can i call a false start on uh something that you said uh at the beginning and you say at the beginning of every podcast you know you start at the beginning of the podcast it says my first i made it moment yeah yeah okay and, i have no idea where you're going with this by the way <laughs> i always thought that wasn't your first i made it moment i thought today was your first i made it moment because i wanted to watch the end of the jet season with you and you were unavailable because you're actually since you started this podcast you're now actually working in the sports industry which ironically means you can't just watch sports like whenever you want and wherever you want because you're actually working when the games are on so i think that that's your first i made it moment so congratulations on that thank I'm you sorry that it had to come at the expense of the death of our beloved jets i appreciate it but that's an annual ritual the death of the jets and it feels i know what you're going to say already because i've heard you talk about the jets all season and you probably think that this year feels different than the other years because so much promise of the young players that's also part of the annual ritual. You know that, right? Yeah, no, I agree with you 100% that it has nothing to do with the promise and all that stuff. I think once they're seven and four, expectations change and you expect them to do something with it and there's total disappointment. Now, I don't know. I'll be honest. I don't know what part of the podcast I'm placing this call in. This might be the open of the episode. This might be the end of the episode or somewhere in the middle. But I'm either going to be repeating a lot of the things that I plan on saying on this episode or... Uh, Foreshadowing, yes know. foreshadowing so what what i mean to say is that i on this episode one of the big topics is i'm going to break down every one of the jets wins this year and look at the games and say were they really victories was this team actually was there actually promise was there actually growth this season um also you talked about working in the uh in the sports industry there's you've never watching sports has never felt so much like work until you have to watch every ravens game uh, because they just play the ugliest games. There's some foreshadowing also that I was planning on saying later in the episode, um, or earlier you know in the when episode. The last time the Jets were in the playoffs was 2010. 
That's correct. That means that there's a bar mitzvah child out there that's never been alive when they were in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, it's the longest drought, I want to say, in sports. Definitely in the NFL. The I'll Google drought. that. In the NFL, it's by about five years, the longest drought. Yeah. And by the way, there weren't any... Uh, we were there for, uh, 13 years ago. They weren't like... And there wasn't any promise associated with those playoffs. There's kind of like backing into it. There was never any doubt that they weren't going to win in the playoffs. Other than the uh, fact that they had a first-year, second-year quarterback and head coach, and you think, all right, you make it to the AFC Championship game in the first two years with these guys, you think that's some sort of promise. Am I wrong? Well, the quarterback that you just mentioned, uh, is Joe Namath still alive? Alive? I can't say well, but alive, yeah. I mean, it was 60 years ago at this point. That's a really long time to not have a quarterback. Really long time. We really never had, ever since they drafted Ken O'Brien ahead of Elway and Marino, we never really had a quarterback ever, ever. That was somebody that you could really legitimately like. But we really uh, outdid ourselves this year because we have the first quarterback that I can remember in the NFL, NFL history and Zach Wilson that we are not even willing to have him on our bench. That's, that's a level. <laughs> It is so true that he has been. There are three quarterbacks that are at, that were active today, and none of them was the guy who's the second overall pick in the draft last year, and was supposed to be coming into this year was looked at as this is our franchise quarterback. Like if we see him on the bench next year, it'll be so upsetting that we won't even be able to watch the game just because he's on the bench. Oh, by the way, I fully expect him to be on the bench next year, and we'll talk about next year in a second. But before that. It, it, this is how pathetic the Jets game was. And this is classic. This reminds you of 2015 against the Bills. When it was the last game of the season, winning you're in. Um, and we watched that game together. And this reminds you of the game against Miami, against the Dolphins, it, the year after 2010, so 2011, in that season, when Santonio Holmes turned his back on the team and was facing the other way. Like, all those games that we watched together, we wanted to watch another death of a Jets season together. But you remember my... I was producing a live show till 5 p.m. And then I had to be back at the studio at 7. So I had a window between 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. that we could watch the game together. And in the end, we didn't do it because by 5 p.m. the game was over. The game started at 4, and by 5, it was so clear and obvious that the Jets had zero chance of winning that game. Yeah, and you said something. I I think you said it on actually on the live radio. I can't remember if it was in Baltimore, New York. I can, I still don't know if you were kidding, but you said the jets are just a quarterback away from being competitive. Do you realize how sad and ridiculous that is? Well, they're a quarterback Quarterback and head. very important. Yeah. They're quarterback and head coach away now. I mean, I don't trust this head coach at all. And so here's what I have for you. Are you ready for this? Uh, yes, I'm ready for anything. And that's one thing I want to say as a jet fan, I'm glad you grew up a jet fan because if you grow up with a losing team, then you grow up learning how to deal with adversity. If you grow up with the Patriots all these years, you'd be entitled and that'd be terrible. (laughs) Exactly. I'm I'm definitely not entitled. Thank you. I, 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 uh, attribute that to you making me a Jets and a Knicks fan. Me not being entitled. Thank you. Builds character. Yeah, exactly. I'm a Yankee fan, but all right. Um, <laughs> By the way, it brings us to I know who's going to be the next Jets savior. I think. I think he's old enough in his career. All right. Let, let's see what you. Well, first of all, back to what you said before that you don't have the quarterback. My friend texted me uh, earlier in the week before this game said, how could you say this season was not a successful season? We clearly have the GM. We have all this young talent. And I wrote back to him. I said, the two biggest question marks coming into the season 
were the quarterback and the head coach. Those are the two things you need most in the NFL. And we haven't answered either of those questions in a positive way. We have the answers, unfortunately, but both of them, I think, are in a negative way. So it, you're 100% right. How is How has this been a successful season? In my opinion, it has not been. But okay, let's talk. The season's over now. There's one more week where they're playing out a string, and we'll see how ugly it gets in Miami. I don't doubt it'll be super ugly against potentially Skylar Thompson, who they destroyed earlier in the year. He's the third-string quarterback for Miami. Um, what do you think happens beyond the season? That's Well, I, I don't think it's a matter of opinion. I think it's a matter of fact. I mean, we're going to get uh, the GOAT, Tom Brady, in his, in his, when he's 52 years old, and he's going to... Uh, He's going to take us to the promised land, just like all those greats before him, uh, Brett Favre and everyone else that we got at the tail end of their career. Jason Kidd for 30. the Knicks. Yeah, this is this is this has been the blueprint. <laughs> this is where everybody goes to die. We probably would get Rodgers, except for I don't think he wants to come to the Jets because that's what Brett Favre did. Otherwise, Rodgers and Brady, I'm not sure which one would be going harder after. It has, uh, I And uh, I love the fact that we had Boomer Esiason, though. I'll never regret that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? The, the plus side of that is, I don't know if Boomer Esiason is is Boomer on, on the radio in WFAN if he's never a Jets quarterback. Meaning, That's like, right. that, he's from New York originally, but that real New York connection only happened when he came to the Jets, and he really understood what it's like to be a, a losing New York player. Right, it it wouldn't it it, it, it wouldn't, wouldn't hit be the so same. Weird if yeah. a kid like I said, the same kid that's bar mitzvah this year that never saw the Jets in the playoffs, will grow up with Tom Brady having played for like a season and broken it like five collarbones, even though he only has one, on um, the first play of the season, and then Tom Brady will be on New York radio, uh, trashing the Jets for the next ten years. That's never going to happen. But you know what I mean. Well, he already has a contract as a coworker of mine at Fox, so um, Tom Brady already he's lined up already his his post football career. But yes, um, I do agree that I think it's either Brady or or Rodgers. Although those both those guys won today, and both of those guys played a heck of a lot better. Brady threw for 400 yards today, three touchdowns, That's and ran saying. for and ran for a touchdown. He was a hell of a lot better than than uh, Mike White, and so was Aaron Rodgers yes. putting up 40 points against Minnesota. Right, this so. is how Jets fans think. They're like, if we could just get Tom Brady. Uh, and, and can you imagine Tom Brady throwing to Garrett Wilson? That's how a Jets fan fantasizes. But he's not ready. He showed today with his good performance. He's not ready to come to the Jets yet. He needs a couple more seasons. Right. So here's where I think he'll go before he goes to the Jets. Are you ready for this? Yes. He, The Miami Dolphins were fined for tampering with Tom Brady. I think Miami has an actual problem with their quarterback. Um, yes. He's hurt. Oh, no. He has... He has a lot of concussions, concussion protocol. Um, yes. He's had injuries throughout his college career. That was concerns before he came into the league. Um, Miami has lost five in a row and basically are losing their way out of a playoff spot and potentially most likely will miss the playoffs now um, as as long as the Patriots win on Sunday. Now, the Patriots would have to beat the, the Bills, so it's not guaranteed, but the Patriots can make the playoffs over Miami. Um, that would be one of the most epic collapses from going from what, what were they eight and three? Now they're eight and eight. So that's a real problem in Miami. Sean Payton is available as a head coach and he'd love to work. He works already with Fox. So he technically is Tom Brady's coworker already. The way that the concussions were handled and how that's being portrayed in the media is definitely negatively viewed uh, towards Miami and it puts Miami in a very negative light. They have a crazy owner who's actually crazy 
And a guy like Mike McDaniel, when he's when things are going well, it's going great, and his personality is fun and quirky. But when things are going bad, it's awful. And that crazy owner might say, this whole concussion protocol thing, the reason it was terrible, the reason all these things happened, that's not my fault. That's Mike McDaniel's fault. He's going to pin it on him, fire him, and for a guy who is, I think, a great football mind to be fired after one year because he had to deal with crazy injuries when he started eight and three and then all of a sudden they collapsed down the stretch and for him to get fired for them to bring in Tom Brady, who they clearly want. They've tampered with him already twice. Tom Brady doesn't want to move very far. He already lives in Tampa. He doesn't want to move any further. He'd have two incredible receivers already, right? He has a good defense there and they bring in Sean Payton. They bring in Sean Payton to be the head coach. Fantastical string of thoughts. They bring in Sean Payton to be the head coach. The Jets need to fire their head coach anyway. I have an inside source who is friends with uh, Woody Johnson who says that Woody Johnson complains about Robert Salah a lot. We're getting Mike <laughs> you McDaniel. You are a bigger fan of Mike McDaniel than We're getting any Mike. player in NFL history. Would you be Go in ahead. total shock and awe if the Jets <laughs> head coach next year was Mike McDaniel? You don't even care who the players are going to be. As long I don't as care if it's Mike McDaniel. Yeah. By the way, Mike McDaniel... He'll, he's the quarterback whisperer. Keep Zach Wilson. He'll be on the roster. <laughs> oh, my God. This is the most ridiculous Mike McDaniel love I've ever seen. And and it, I've never seen a guy like a coach more than any other player in history. You think Mike McDaniel is better than Bill Belichick ever was in his prime. And you don't even care who's on the team. And But I do love that you went through the trouble of like a five-step chain reaction to bring Mike McDaniel to New York. That, that's actually really impressive. Which By the way, I, I, in all seriousness, let, for one second, in all seriousness, everything yeah. I said is there's a crazy owner in Miami. He wants Brady. Sean Payton has already said he's available and wants to go to a team that can win. Sean Payton has already said he wants to be in warm weather. Sean Payton has already said he wants to be paired with a guy. He wouldn't mind being paired with a guy like Tom Brady. I don't think it's that crazy. Um, I really don't think it's that crazy for them to fire Mike McDaniel. Now, for the rest of it to fall in place, maybe not. But I do think, Sean, if I had to make a prediction, where will Brady and Sean Payton be next year? I would put my money on Miami, and I think Mike McDaniel will be fired. Uh, that would be... Uh, and it's idiotic. It's, it, it makes no sense. But idiotic. guess what? You You talk about the Jets being an idiotic franchise... Miami is an idiotic franchise as well, and that's you know that. And where does that leave Tua? Because Tua looks like Russell Wilson went into a time machine and like got concussed on the way. <laughs> he just like came out as so Tua. Well. Uh, I don't even mean to laugh at that. Physically and game style wise, Tua is just like a poor man's kind of like pre-concussed Russell Wilson, like not in his prime, but like the way the Russell way Russ was, looks this year, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know where that leaves Tua. But I feel bad. Mike McDaniel went through the yeah. trouble of, of um, illustrating 700 plays of Tua at his best. But the fact of the matter is, no, money, no amount of plays on a highlight reel can make Tua throw the ball more than 20 yards downfield. You, you know who throws really far and sideline to sideline? Uh, I know that Brady does. And I know that I don't know. 
Zach Wilson, I know he throws. You know, he throws 400. He can throw 400 yards as long as he's throwing it out of bounds. Exactly. By the way, I think one time, I think one time he threw it up to my seats at MetLife Stadium. <laughs> He was just escaping the. He saw he saw uh, Garrett Wilson streaking down the field. He thought he was open, so he threw it actually into the three hundred level. <laughs> He's at that early stage. They they say of like the you know the Williams twins in tennis, uh, they're legendary. So, so they're they're at the end of their careers. I mean Venus is done. So you're trying to explain also... who the Williams twins are? <laughs> Wait, I'm so confused. I don't know. I don't know because you're more into like the main sports, not into that we. Like, yeah, uh... anyone and everyone knows who. You remember I did go to the U.S. Open this year. I forgot. Yeah, you're a tennis guy now. Yeah, Anyways, guy. the way she got so good is her, their dad. You know that their dad. Did you watch the coach. movie? Okay, no. <laughs> okay, I didn't watch the but movie either. But before the movie, yeah, he was a little nuts, right? Yeah, and and there's a quarterback in the NFL. I don't remember if it's a quarterback. There's someone. I want to say Wayne Gretzky. Actually, Wayne Gretzky talks about how he actually has has had he died. His I think his dad died, but. He never had a good relationship with his dad because his dad pushed him too hard. And even though he became Wayne freaking Gretzky, the greatest ever, he said it still wasn't worth like he had no relationship with his dad because of how hard he pushed him. Right. Well, that has not been our problem. <laughs> no. In fact, <laughs> you try and abuse me as much as you can. Like I said, you gave me the Knicks. You gave me the Jets. And here we yeah. are. Right. Anyways, it's only brought us closer. So- where I was going with it was And I'm Serena. definitely not going to be a professional athlete, so we don't have right. to worry about yeah, that. No. <laughs> if I sh- if you showed any promise in any area, I said, calm down, son. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're like, no, no, no. Um, yeah. So he told his daughters, especially Serena, just hit it as hard as you can, and eventually it'll, it'll go in balance. And you'll figure out, like, where the court lines are, and then you'll just be super powerful. So Zach Wilson, this is a stretch, but he's in that stage of his career where – he would. He probably could hit like a fan in the third deck, like on a dime, but he, he doesn't yet have a sense of where the lines of the uh, football grid are. That's that's pretty much what it looks like on the field. Yeah, there's a lot of issues with him, and I don't actually think that Mike McDaniel can fix him. No, but I do think that have a work attitude. Where's the attitude? Yeah, I do think that Mike McDaniel believes he can fix him, which just is why I love Mike McDaniel. Uh, well, you know, listen. Amen to your wishes. Maybe. McDaniel, by the way, even if. By the way, somebody... Mike Lafleur is definitely gone after this year. The Jets' offensive coordinator. So if Mike McDaniel gets fired, you don't even have to fire Salah. You can keep Salah. Salah and McDaniel work together as offensive and defensive coordinator in San Francisco, and are very close friends. Bring in McDaniel with Salah. Okay. I mean, listen. Amen. I mean, the truth of the matter is it would take somebody so off the menu like Mike McDaniel to break a curse, a 60-year-old curse. That's that's basically what it's going to take. What's so, the better option? No, 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 no. Uh, listen, I, I, I wish he was available. We would grab him and we should just run with it. Once we have him, I mean, we have a lot of great position players we haven't even talked about. We just, like you said, one quarterback away from being competitive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By the way, we say all this. Salah's going to be back, and the quarterback is going to be Derek Carr throwing a thousand interceptions a game. <laughs> My God. 
Derek Carr is just going to be a seat warmer for uh, for Brady. <laughs> exactly. For, for when Brady, Brady wins two more Super Bowls in Miami, and then we'll get Brady. By the way, Woody Johnson is definitely not opposed to hiring a really weird guy to be the head coach from Miami. He hired Adam Gase. So it's not that crazy. I really hope it happens, but we do need to find a quarterback, and Derek Carr sounds, unfortunately, as you say it, Sounds really realistic, and I'm not happy about it, but it is what it is. Yeah, well, at least at least we don't have to watch next week as the Jets play the Dolphins on Sunday. Uh, we don't have to worry about that. So I think that was a proper eulogy. Is is Hall coming? Is he okay? Is he going to be? Brees right, Hall, Elijah Vera Tucker, all these guys are going to be back. It's going to be awesome. Uh, we're going to be awesome. Oh, the defense, next year's know, our year. We didn't even mention the defense. The defense yeah. is legit. Yeah, the defense year. is totally legit. Sauce. Is Sauce. Fantastic. Garrett Wilson is awesome. We're going to be great. Next yeah. year is our year. Yeah. 2023 Jets, look out. That's right. The rest of the league is probably already upset. They're already nervous. Yeah. We're just a quarterback away. That's all we need. One missing giant critical <laughs> piece. It's one, like, if you think about it, it's only one guy. Like, it's a 53-man roster, and we have right. 52 of the 53. Right. Well, uh, I will say this. It's better to have nobody to have Zach Wilson. I think the Jets could <laughs> that's true. They'd rather have the center just like pass it to himself through his that, legs. That's true. That's the thing. Gives... <laughs> that's the thing with, with, with what was so frustrating about Sam Darnold after year two, we still didn't know the answer. Like imagine Zach Wilson had a mediocre year this year and then he had the the year that he had this year next year. That would be worse. So it could be worse. Yeah, with the Jets. I'm watching, so by the way, I'm like, watching Chris Sims and Chris Collinsworth's son. Couldn't you have been a famous sports broadcaster? I mean, this whole industry is nepotism. Uh, I know. It would have been so much easier for you. But again, uh, then you would be feel entitled and you wouldn't be who you are today. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So instead, I'm a Jets fan and a, and a Knicks fan who lives in Baltimore. <laughs> this is great. You really set me up well. <laughs> yeah. Those characters on. Yeah, exactly. All right, I have a podcast to record because I still didn't start. It's like midnight, and I didn't start recording my actual podcast. So this has been fun, uh, right, as always. Good job by you. Yeah. Good, go Jets. All right, go Jets. All right, so that is my father and I um, talking about the Jets, but just in time, the Knicks. The Knicks are back. The Knicks and the Rangers, by the way, undefeated. In the 2023 year, I think they're two and zero, but I think they're four and zero in their last four games. So those two teams are playing well right now; they're hot. Um, and so we're going to talk about the Knicks a little bit later. But let's talk about the whole NBA. The NBA has been on fire, especially since Christmas Day. The NBA really only starts on Christmas, and for the first time in a long time, we've gotten to Christmas Day, we've gotten to New Year's, and it feels like. We don't know what's going to happen in this NBA season. We don't know who's going to win the championship. It's always felt like, oh yeah, it's probably this team or that team or whoever. It doesn't feel like that this year. It feels like the league is wide open. It feels like there's plenty of teams that can have a legitimate claim that they can be the team to win the championship this year. So let's go through it. Let's start in the Eastern Conference and talk about some of the teams that have a legitimate shot at winning the championship And I want to start with the hottest team in the NBA, the team currently holding the longest win streak, and that is the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, the Brooklyn Nets have won 12 games in a row. And to me, this is the most interesting team, and there's a lot of interesting teams in in both conferences, but this might be the most interesting team in the NBA right now. Kevin Durant has elevated his game 
to a level that we've never seen before. Yeah, Kevin Durant has elevated his game to a level that we've never seen before. This is one of the greatest players of all time. We've seen him on one of the greatest teams of all time. We've seen him as a passer. We've seen him as a scorer. We've seen him as the main focal point in OKC as a young kid. And he is on a tear over the last 12 games that I don't remember seeing him on in his entire career. And that's not recency bias. Jacques Vaughn has talked about it, the way he's spreading the floor, the way he's opening up the offense for the rest of his team. Everything runs through him. And he is now a legitimate MVP candidate in the NBA. And this team winning 12 in a row is mainly and primarily because of Kevin Durant. And when they went out and got Kevin Durant, and with all the different things that has happened since then, his ha- his shoe being a half a size too big. Think about this past summer with the Brooklyn Nets when they called his bluff. You know why they called his bluff? You know why Joe Sy and Sean Marks looked at Kevin Durant and said, no. You're staying right where you are. We're not trading you, and we're not firing the head coach. Now, ultimately, they did fire the head coach, but you know why they didn't give in? Is because of this. Because Kevin Durant is proving that, yet again, that when he is right, he is the best player in the world. I was about to say by far. That's not true. There's a lot of great NBA players right now, and we'll get to a lot of them. But he is still number one amongst all of them when he is at his best. And that is why, with everything that transpired, the Nets still fought through. They still went out and got him. And they would do it again and again and again. And we talked about it at the time. Would you make the trade again? We talked about it when he asked out. We talked about it when it seemed like this season was going to go to hell after they fired the head coach in the Ime Udoka situation and up and down and back and forth. And every single time, the answer has been and will always be a resounding yes. You go and get Kevin Durant time and time again. Now, the side piece he came with is Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving is playing the best basketball he's played since Cleveland. I don't remember him being on a run like this in Boston. The way he's scoring the ball as a pure scorer is reminding you that he is one of the best players in basketball. Yeah, he's not Kevin Durant. Yeah, he's not playing defense the way Kevin Durant does. Yeah, he's not setting the rest of the team up the way Kevin Durant does. But let Kyrie be Kyrie. He's not making a fuss in the media. He hasn't done anything crazy on social media. He hasn't done anything crazy off the court or on the court. He's going out there on a nightly basis and scoring. And that's what you need Kyrie Irving to be. And that's what he's doing. And Kyrie right now, I don't know why it is. Is it because there's nothing else going on around? And the second something else comes up, he'll be out again? Is it because he's playing for a contract? He's in a final year of a contract? He's in a contract season? And maybe he's finally or someone's in his ear finally saying, Hey, Kyrie, don't you want to get paid? Don't you realize what your image is right now and what it can be and what it should be going forward? I don't know what the reason is for it, but Kyrie Irving is playing some of the best basketball we've seen him play. Definitely his best basketball he's ever played in Brooklyn. And he's locked in. He's playing at an all-star level. And with those two guys playing at an all-star level, what it's been able to do is it's opened up and unlocked Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is finally contributing in a positive way. And I saw that, I think, in like 12 games, he hasn't made a free throw. It doesn't matter. He's rebounding, he's playing defense, he's hustling, he's assisting, and he is doing enough to make everything else on this team flow. He's doing what he needs to be doing. Is he the best version of Ben Simmons that we've seen since he's come into this league? Not really, not by far. But he's by far the best version of Ben Simmons we've seen since he airballed 
or I guess did, decided not to take a free throw or a layup, I should say rather, in that playoff series a couple years ago. The fact that he's come this far, I think to a lot of people is surprising. And a lot of people, myself included, counted him out and said, we may never see that Ben Simmons again. Well, he's about maybe 60 to 70% of that Ben Simmons that we saw. He's actually contributing in a positive way. He doesn't have to be a scorer. He doesn't have to be the focal point of the offense. He doesn't even have to defend the best player at times because Kevin Durant is doing so much on the defensive side as well. He just has to grab some rebounds, make some passes, set up the rest of the offense, get out in transition from time to time, play strong defense, get some steals, get some blocks. And he's doing that. The role players on this team, you talk about TJ Warren, you talk about Wananabe, Seth Curry. These are all guys who are finally contributing. One of the things we talked about with this team is it's not deep. Well, now it feels like there's shooters. It feels like there's guys contributing all over, up and down the roster. And Jacques Vaughn, he has this team bought in. And I heard something interesting about Jacques Vaughn. So many people, when they get to these superstars, they try and be hard on them. And if you're an NBA or maybe you're a little bit older and you're an NBA hater, you're going to hear this and say, well, this is stupid. These players need to be taught. These players need to be disciplined, blah, blah, blah. Apparently, Jacques Vaughn is telling these guys, hey, I trust all you guys. You guys are all adults. Get your work in when you want to get your work in. Don't get your work in when you don't want to get your work in. Day of game, show up. We'll go through the walkthrough, and then we'll play. They don't have practices. They don't have scheduled team meetings. They don't have any of that stuff. He says, that's all up to you guys. I trust you guys. That's something that I've never heard of in any professional sport, but the players like it and respect it. But on game day, they know that he's going to demand the most of them. He's going to be in their ear. He's going to make sure they hustle. He's going to make sure they play defense. Between games, go do whatever you want. Don't get in trouble, but go do whatever you want. I trust you're going to stay in shape. I trust you're going to get your shots up. But game day, I'm going to demand a ton from you. And it's working with the weird personalities he has on this team. Maybe that's actually what you need. And you have a guy who seems to really understand these weird personalities. The number two seed right now in the Eastern Conference. But they're only a half game behind Boston. And you think about where they came from. What I talked about on this episode, on this podcast, both in the summer and what I talked about around the time of the Ime Udoka, whether he was coming to the team or not, all that stuff is behind them right now. If they get a real big guy, because that's the last thing, they need a big man, it seems like. A Jaka Pirtle would probably be available from San Antonio. Could be a, a huge addition to this roster. But they're a real threat. They're not just a real threat in the Eastern Conference. They're a championship threat because when you have Kevin Durant, you become a championship threat. And the pieces around them, with the way Kyrie Irving's playing, with the way the role players are playing, if they can get a big man, I think they have enough shooting. And with the way Ben Simmons has bought in and is playing, this team is a serious title contender. And yet with all that, it can go down the drain and out the window in a heartbeat. One Kevin Durant injury. One Ben Simmons mental breakdown. And Kyrie, I mean, the list of what could happen and what can go wrong with Kyrie is endless. I don't know. He wakes up on the wrong side of the bed one day and decides to tweet about God knows what. He steps on a leaf and thinks it's a sign that he needs to all of a sudden go on a trip to find himself in Antarctica. I don't know. I don't know. Anything can happen with Kyrie. This team might be the best team in the NBA, but it's also the most fragile team in the NBA. 
And it's going to be one hell of a story as the season unfolds the rest of the way. Speaking of Boston, we mentioned that they are a half game ahead of Brooklyn in the Eastern Conference standings. Tonight, they got blown out, which was unexpected. But it seems like they got better without Ime Udoka, something we did not expect. A new head coach comes in, takes over for Udoka, and not only did the transition seem seamless, it seemed like, like I said, they got better. Joe Mazzula, give him a ton of credit, but give the players a ton of credit. They learned from last year. It seems like every night, it's both JT and JB, Tatum and Brown, going out there and each scoring 25 points. Every single night, it's the two of them each put up 25. But it's not like it's two separate guys. At times last year, at times, even in the finals, it felt like it was Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Something about this team flows different. Something about this roster feels more connected. Feels like it's one unit. They still play hard. They still play, still play defense, even without Ime. They look like the best team in the NBA. They're 26-12, and 12, which is the best record in the league. And they look like they're headed directly back to the NBA Finals. They're a year older. They're a year mature. Marcus Smart is leading the team. Al Horford is still really good. They're getting contributions from guys like Blake Griffin and other role players on this team. This team might be even better than the team that went to the Finals last year. Speaking of a team that's better than when they were in the Finals, the Bucks, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Had 55 points tonight, and it feels like every night he should have 55 points. He gets to the rim with ease. We know about Giannis. I could go on and on about Giannis. Side note, by the way, uh, just quickly. We'll get to Cleveland and Golden State a little bit later, but Clay Thompson scored 54 last night, and Spider Mitchell scored 71 last night. It just feels like it's normal these days. We saw 60 from Luka a couple days ago. We're seeing 50 from LeBron, different guys. The scoring in the NBA has gotten insanely crazy. Teams are scoring 140 points in games, 150 points in games. So I don't think that takes away from anything that these guys have done. But I do think, and maybe last night because of everything else going on, we didn't pay as much attention to 71 points from Donovan Mitchell. But uh, it does feel like the crazy scoring numbers have been diluted a bit. Uh, but it's still wild to see what the type of scoring that's in the NBA. Back to the Bucks and Giannis had 55 tonight. And the Bucks, by the way, have had tons of injuries, tons of inconsistent lineups. You think about Middleton and uh, Drew Holiday. So many guys were out. I still don't love Mike Budenholzer. And all I talked about on this podcast was Mike Budenholzer not making adjustments, not by Mike Budenholzer not being a great head coach. And then they went in an NBA Finals and he gets a contract and he's still with the team all these years later. So it's hard to hate on a guy who did win, but I don't think he's the best possible coach to coach this team. And yet, if they can ever get consistently healthy, it feels like this team would be right at the top of the league with Giannis, with Middleton, with Drew, with Brooke Lopez, with everything that they have on this team with Bobby Portis. I still think they should probably upgrade at the Grayson Allen position. I think he's a dirty player. I don't think he's a great player. Definitely not a great player. Maybe not even a good player. Um, I think they could do a lot better for a guy who can be a slasher and scorer uh, and a, an extra shooter, a guy who can defend on the wing. There's no reason why he should be that guy. There's plenty of other guys out there. Um, you don't want to be in a situation in a playoff game where he's costing you points in crucial times because he's taking technicals or doing something stupid um, because of a dirty play. That's just my opinion on it. But like I said, with everything that feels like it's all not perfect and not right yet with this team, and what we've seen so far, they're still only a game and a half back out of the first seed of Boston. 
So what does that tell you? This team at any point could just turn it on. It's Giannis. It's Drew. Middleton. They have the championship pedigree still from a couple years ago. And that can all come back in a second. And they could be right back in the mix for a championship contention. Let's go to Cleveland. I did mention them a second ago. Cleveland's an interesting story for me. First of all, I'll come right out and say it. Donovan Mitchell is worth every single cent. You do that trade a thousand times out of a thousand if you're Cleveland. The 71 points is obviously insane. And he has the it factor. When he gets that look in his eye, he wants to take over a game. At any point, he can take over. Um, There's a video, and I don't want to sound like a hater because everyone's talking about Donovan Mitchell today. And everyone's talking about how great he is. And rightfully so. And like I said, worth every penny, worth the trade. I'd do it a thousand times. I wish the Knicks did it. I mean, I'd take him over RJ. I wouldn't take him over Quentin Grimes. We'll get to the Knicks a little bit later. Um, with all that said, there's been a video going around. And uh, the video was him for an entire possession locking up Kyrie. It was a close game against uh, against the, the Nets. And it's late in the game. And he's one-on-one with Kyrie. And he's just harassing him. Picks him up full court. And Kyrie makes a couple moves on him. Finally, he knocks it out of bounds off of Kyrie's knee. Everyone's going nuts. Look at the defense from Spider Mitchell. Now, I knew that that video would go viral and go around when I was watching it live. I was watching it live, actually. The only reason I was, obviously, it's a good game. I watch NBA every night. But I did have uh, Donovan Mitchell score 25 points in that game, which is also how I know that Donovan Mitchell did not score for 25 points in that game. He had 18 points when he came back in with about three minutes to go in the third quarter. And I'm not salty about my bet, but it was a close game. And in that moment, Donovan Mitchell, in a close game, for the last 15 minutes of the game, when the team was desperately, the Cavs were desperately trying to stick with the Brooklyn Nets, he didn't take over. He had that one possession on defense where he was like, all of a sudden, he had that fire lit under him. Like we saw the other night when he scored 71. We saw that he got locked in all of a sudden, and all of a sudden he goes off. But on offense, he would just give the ball up to the top of the key and go stand in the corner. He didn't have it that night. He didn't want it that night. And what's frustrating is that some of the great players, it's night in and night out with them. And what's so amazing about him is that when he wants it, when he wants to go after it and go get it, he can And we see that he can. So it makes it all the more frustrating when he chooses not to, when he's like being passive. And so this is a guy who we saw at times in Utah, as good of a player as he was there, whether he was frustrated because of Rudy Gobert, whether he was frustrated with the coach, whether he was frustrated with something going on there. At the end there, he was not playing defense at all. And we know he's capable of playing defense. And I know guys aren't going to play defense like that on every possession of every game in an NBA game. I don't expect that. But in a close game, in a big game, against the Nets, a hot team in the NBA right now, for him to not even try and take over in the fourth quarter, for him to seem disinterested, it was just a weird sight. Knowing that he has that switch, but sometimes that switch gets turned off, it kind of makes me nervous if I'm a Cleveland Cavaliers fan. I like this team a lot, but the question is with the really the, what the driving force of this team being Donovan Mitchell and him being the difference. If this team wins a couple of playoff rounds, if this team makes a run, it scares me to know that some nights he could just turn it off and he's not going after it on every possession and trying to get it. That's especially in the big moments in the game. 
All that said, the team, they're a fun team, one of the most fun teams. Only two games back from Boston for the one seed. They're the four seed, the 24 and 14, like I said. Even with that kind of weirdness, I'm not sure what it is. I have to watch more of their games to see if that's happening more often uh, because we only see the highlights. We only see when he does turn it on. We only see that stuff. That's the stuff that goes viral. The Him standing in the corner on an offensive possession or not giving a great effort on a defensive possession is not what you see on Instagram, on social media, on TikTok. I'd still take him on the Knicks. <laughs> I would still take him on the Knicks. Philadelphia is another team that's maybe the most interesting team. We talked about Brooklyn being the most interesting team. I say this about so many teams because I mean it. Every single one of these teams is in such a weird, interesting situation right now when you look at what's going on in the NBA and particularly in the Eastern Conference. So as far as Philly, I don't know what to do with them. I don't know exactly how to look at them. It seems like every season we have a stretch with Joel Embiid where we're asking, is he a top three player in the league? Where we're looking at him and saying, this is all-time stuff. And the stretch I'm talking about, you know what it looks like. It's when he's unstoppable inside. It's when he gets the ball in the post and he just goes to work and he can pass out of it if you try and double him. And he has the stretch where he's knocking down that mid-range jumper from the top of the key. Which, when he's doing that, you cannot possibly stop him on offense. Because if you try to lay off him, he'll just hit that jumper. If you step up on him, he'll just drive all the way down inside, back you down, and he'll punish you inside. If you double him, he'll just kick it out, find the open guy, which he seemingly always does. And, like I said, when he's hitting that mid-range jumper at the top of the key, he's impossible to defend. You can't double him in the post either because they'll find the open guy too, by the way. And he hits just enough threes to keep you honest that if he steps out from three, you have to step out with him. And yet it feels like he goes through every one of these stretches every so often. And yet it feels like it's either going to fizzle, fade, or maybe he'll just get hurt. And in three months from now or four months from now, It's all going to end with him crying after a devastating loss in the playoffs. But where this team is different than past Embiid teams is what's around him. James Harden has transformed his game. Those are words I never thought I'd say. James Harden has changed the way he plays. Everyone knows I'm a James Harden stan. I always have been. I love James Harden. But he's playing like a point guard now. He's making sure everyone else is getting theirs. He's making sure everyone else is involved. When I thought about him in Philadelphia, I thought about him doing a high screen and roll with Joel Embiid over and over again and what that might look like. When Embiid can step out and knock down a jumper and Embiid can roll to the rim. Harden can get his. Harden can drive to the rim. Harden's the mismatch machine. Unfortunately for me, because that's the James Harden I loved, that's the game that he played, That's the game that was one of one that no one has ever done before him and no one's ever done after him. That's some of the most entertaining basketball to watch. He's a step slower than he was in Houston, and he just can't do it anymore. He doesn't have that quick first step. He can't get to the rim like he used to. He can't step back as quickly as he used to. And so that game is not available for him. And while last year we saw him try and force that game, this year he's changed his game. 
And so what some people thought James Harden could never do, and I was one of them, and not that I ever wanted to see him change his game, he changed his game and it improved for the team. We talk about it so much with Luka, and we'll get to Luka a little bit later with the high usage percentage. Everyone else standing around and watching. Talk about it with Trey Young also. A little foreshadowing for what might come up later in this episode. And how, what that, what kind of effect that has on the rest of the team, and it's not a positive effect. It seems like James Harden, the way he's playing now, has a real positive effect on the rest of the team, while at the same time, it's allowing him to get his more. It's opening up a mid-range game for him. It's allowing him to get more cuts to the rim and easy layups. It's allowing him to have open shots when they swing it around back to him because he's making sure everyone's moving, everyone's involved. It's not just him holding the ball. We're not seeing him hold the ball for 20 seconds of a 24-second possession. He's playing like a point guard, and in the end, it's rewarding himself as much as it's rewarding the team, and it's rewarding both. So really an incredible run. The guys that they have as role players, Melton, Milton, Niang, those guys are really good and are playing really well. And I haven't even talked about Maxi and Thibel because they've been mostly injured. So think about when they get back, what that looks like. This team is a really good Philadelphia team. And like I said, all the common denominators with the Embiid runs, I don't think they've ever had a team quite like this. I think this is by far the best team that they've had. And yet there still remains one giant question mark outside of Embiid's health, obviously. And it's always Tobias Harris. Some nights Tobias Harris is a third superstar on this team. It's Embiid, Harden, and Harris. And it's clear these guys are three superstars in this league. And then other nights, you barely know he's out there on the court. You don't even know he exists. The other night, when he what had five rebounds in a game in D.C., how does that happen? Like, he was just... That was glorified cardio. I know we talk about that Tony Snell game. Everyone looks at that box score where he had 27 minutes and did absolutely nothing. But some nights, it really feels that way with Tobias Harris. And the question becomes, which Tobias Harris is going to show up more often than not? Which Tobias Harris is going to be the consistent Tobias Harris that we see down the stretch and in the playoffs? They're only three games out of a one seed in the Eastern Conference. Can they be the team that overcomes all the previous mistakes. Look, we saw it a few years ago, over the last few years, where there was the Nets coming together, but ultimately they lost to the Bucks, and then the Bucks come together and they go on their run. Whether it was last year with the Celtics, where they gelled at the right time and went on their run. We've seen a few different teams. We've seen more parity in the NBA over the last few years than we've ever seen. Maybe it's Philly's turn to finally put it all together and go on a run. But I think there's more pressure than ever on Joel Embiid to not only stay healthy, but to go on a run. And yet, somehow it feels like that doesn't lie on him as much as it lies on Tobias Harris. The rest of the Eastern Conference real quick, and I'm going to get to, uh, I'm going to, get to Atlanta and the Knicks a little bit later. But Indianapolis, or Indiana I should say, is fun. I still think they will most likely try and lose more games than win, so they probably will trade some of their assets that are contributing to them winning now uh, for draft capital in the future. The Miami situation, is that window closed? We know the finals in the bubble, but is it the end of the era with Jimmy Butler? Do they try and trade Duncan Robinson? What happens with Tyler Hero? Do they try and trade and retool around Tyler Hero and Bam Adebayo? 
Um, and does that include a Jimmy Butler trade? Because right now they're just kind of middling in the middle over there. Now, like I said, Knicks and Hawks will get you. The Wizards are always mid, so that's not a shock. And Chicago. Chicago is interesting to me because Chicago is exactly what everyone thought they'd be going into last season. A team that at times is capable of being like, wow, but all individual players that you never really saw coming together as one. And what's so funny is with the way they overperformed last year and the way they looked for really the first half of the season before they totally fell apart and ended up being, what, a sixth seed by the time everything was said and done last year? when they were the one seed for maybe the first four months of the season. What's interesting is how hard people have a hard time remembering what they thought of a team two weeks prior. So they thought that last year, going into the season, they were like, oh my God, this team is going to be not great. I don't think this team is going to do anything all that great. And then they start the season off really well. Everyone's like, oh my God, Chicago. And then people almost didn't realize how how hard they had fallen last year. And then this year, it's like, what happened to Chicago? Well, Chicago was exactly what you thought Chicago would be before the season. They're about a 500 team with a lot of individually talented players who are going to be fun in trade packages elsewhere. Who gets Vucevic, if anyone wants him? Who gets Caruso? That's a real player who can actually help a talented team. That can be a real role player. Brooklyn, Philly, one of those teams. Maybe Denver, a Western Conference team. Maybe the Knicks. Caruso, I like it. Where does DeMar DeRozan end up playing if they can trade that contract? Zach Levine, he's been in trade talks for years, it seems like. Does he end up somewhere else? I don't want him to come to the Knicks, but it feels like that might be inevitable. Um, It's, like I said, it's time to blow it up in Chicago, and I don't think people should be that shocked about it. By the way, Washington, like I said, they also have some pieces that could be moved. I'm glad Porzingis is getting his 25 and 10 a night now. But uh, it's not helping them win at all. Kyle Kuzma's a big name that you could look out for during the trade deadline coming up. Let's head over to the Western Conference uh, and start at the top. Denver's the number one seed. And I asked this question to my father. We were actually playing basketball on the, uh, I guess, the celebrated version of New Year's Day on Monday. The second, uh, we played a little basketball. It's actually really fun. Um, (laughs) It was right after I deleted everything. My whole file, I was like, all right, I got to get out of the apartment. I'm going to go play basketball. Um, so I went out with my father. We were playing basketball, and I asked him this question. And I don't think this question is so crazy. I said, is Nikola Jokic the greatest offensive player you've ever seen? And here's why. It's similar to Embiid, but different. He's got incredible vision. He sees the course so well. He runs the entire offense through him. He's seven foot God knows what. He's huge. He can shoot. He can pass. He rebounds. He can get to the rim with ease and score. He has all the different kind of sky hooks and hook shots. His shot is impossible to block when he just he doesn't need any space to take that jumper because of how he shoots it from above his head. Uh, the other night, they decided that, I think it was against the Kings, they decided, we're going to put Sabonis on you. Sabonis is tall he's athletic he should be able to defend you and we're not going to double you so Embiid said oh you're not going to double I'll get 40 points and so they adjusted and said okay fine we will double you he said oh you're going to double me I'll get 20 assists because I'll just pass out of the double and it's not going to be a pass that you're expecting that you could just swing it's going to be a pass somehow that you had no idea that that guy was even open and there's no realistic way that I should know that that guy was there and yet he's wide open and I get the pass to him perfectly on his chest 
ready for him to either hit a shot, get a layup, whatever it is, with guys cutting around him. And it's every night. He is impossible to stop. And if he's not the greatest offensive player I've ever seen, I don't know what the greatest offensive player would look like. Because if I wanted to create the most perfect offensive player, I would create him. Just this giant guy. It's like when you create a guy in uh, Madden or create your own player in 2K. And it was always like, you expect wide receivers. Let's say you wanted to create your own wide receiver in Madden. Um, so wide receivers, yeah, either have like a little fast guy or a big strong guy who can, you know, go up and get contested passes. So in Madden, it was always fun to make the little guy and have the speed and all that stuff, but put him in the huge guy's body. That's what it, that's what Nikola Jokic is right now. I mean, that guy is a giant. He's seven feet tall, but he shoots threes. He shoots mid-range jumpers. He runs the entire offense through him. And like I said, if there is a better offensive player, more effective offensive player, more unstoppable offensive player, I've never seen it. We know oftentimes in the NBA and the NFL and every league, we see MVP fatigue. We're probably seeing it this year with Patrick Mahomes, although he'll probably win anyway, especially now that Burrow is going to have most likely one less game than him. Um, and for good reason, but he, at the end of the day, he'll have one less game than him. Um, so we see fatigue with the MVP. Nikola Jokic has won back-to-back MVPs. I really hope we don't have MVP fatigue because if they end the season with the best record in the West and he continues to play the way he's been playing, he should be the MVP and it's not particularly close. And I know, like I said earlier in the episode, it's hard to say it's not particularly close. With Jokic, it's not particularly close. What he does for this team and what you if you take him off this team, he'd be the team would be nothing. And if you put him on almost any other roster in the NBA, that team becomes infinitely better. It's that simple with him. Now let's talk about the rest of the team. Jamal Murray has not been the same since coming back from the injury, which is to be expected. Look, it took Clay Thompson a year and a half to get even close to the place where he was pre-entry. Now he's finally starting to look like the guy. 54 the other night, 10 three-pointers. Yeah, he's starting to look like himself. But if you can get Murray back to maybe 80% of himself by the time the playoffs roll around, that would be huge for this team. Just to have another guy who's almost like your secondary point guard at this point to Jokic. Aaron Gordon, and I love what Aaron Gordon has been able to do in this offense, specifically working off of Jokic. I never thought a guy like Aaron Gordon would work in a 2022-23 NBA. A guy who's not really... He's a big guy, but he's not big enough to be a big man. He can't really create for himself. He's not really a great sharpshooter. It seems like that's not the type of guy that you'd create uh, for this league and the way the league is today. And yet, he's been super effective for this team. And a lot of his working off of Jokic, cutting off of him, getting open shots off of him. But he's doing so much on both sides, both ends of the court. Um, I'm really impressed from what I've seen. And then always with Michael Porter Jr., can he stay on the court? We know how talented he is when he's on the court, but can he stay on it? Right now, this team is the one seed. They're 24-13. and 13, And as long as Jokic continues to be this guy, I think they'll continue. Uh, I heard a lot of people saying they want to see them get a second big man uh, because if you get another big, then it takes a lot of pressure off of Jokic. He's their point guard anyway. It takes pressure off him on the defensive side. takes pressure off him on the offensive side. Uh, I could see that, but... Like I said, as long as Jokic is there, this team is going to be one of the best teams and most unstoppable teams in the league. Memphis. I think we're seeing the transformation with this team. We're seeing the transformation from a team that's a little young, a little feisty, 
like we saw in the playoffs last year against Golden State, to a team that's one of the best teams in the league. Ja Morant is a superhero. Ja is the best player from that draft currently. Obviously, if you redo that draft, Ja goes one just because of Zion's health issues. Um, RJ Barrett, I still don't know what he is. It's unfortunate, but you thought he'd take a big leap this year. He hasn't. And the team around Ja is a winning team, whether it's Bain, whether it's Triple J, all those guys have turned into a winning culture team. And the thing about Memphis is that franchise has been a winning culture my entire adult life. You go back to the Zebo and Marcus years, uh, Tony Allen, all those guys. They've always had that winning culture. And now it's continuing with John Moran. It's continuing with the new wave of guys. It's just they're built and engraved into that winning culture. They have a real superstar and some really nice role players around him who can also be really good players at times. And actually, their beef with Golden State, going back to that series last year, going to some of the games this year, I think on Christmas Day they played each other. It's been really fun. It's been really fun to watch. The question becomes, do they have enough? Can they sustain it in a playoff series? Do they have a second and third and fourth guy? We know how incredible Ja is, but do they have that second and third guy who can play off of Ja to get them a big bucket, to stop a big run if they need to, to help Ja out if he needs some help in some of those games, which... You know, the superstars always need. That's the question for this team. Right now, they're the number two seed. We'll see how that continues the rest of the way. And if they make a move to get one of those guys who could be a second guy next to Ja. New Orleans. New Orleans has been really fun this year. The Pelicans. And it's not even because of Zion. Zion's hurt again. He's going to be out at least three weeks with a hamstring. And at this point, it's tough to... You can't rely on him. When he's on the court, he's the most effective player inside the paint. In the NBA, he's the most effective scorer, I should say, in the NBA inside the paint because you can't stop him. His force is unbelievable, but unfortunately his force has also kept him off the court a ton. But yet, it's not really his play that has helped this team get to where they are. We talk about CJ McCollum, Larry Nance Jr., Brendan Ingram, those three players, specifically McCollum. After the trade, getting away from Dame, he's had injury issues throughout his career. No one thought he was really a number one guy. Everyone thought he was just the second guy who could play off of Damian Lillard. I think what he's proven with the Pelicans is he is a real number one guy. And I'm happy to see that because I think McCollum is definitely a guy that a lot of people rooted for. Um, so those are the top three seeds. Dallas is the four seed, but we'll get to them. Uh, the Kings is an interesting story. So I just want to touch on the Kings for a second. I said this before. I'll say it again. Trading for Sabonis, trading away what they had in Tyrese Halliburton was a mistake. I stand by it. They chose De'Aaron Fox over Tyrese Halliburton. But it's kind of working. Do I think they made the mistake? Do I think in the long run they'll regret it? Do I think they're a bad franchise that made a bad judgment? Yeah. But Sabonis and Fox works and it's fun to watch. They would get another big win tonight at the buzzer in a crazy game against Utah. So, you can't hate it, but like I said, I don't think that's winning you a championship. Is there anyone who's shocked that Minnesota is not working out the way they hoped it would? No, me neither. I'm not surprised by that. Anthony Edwards is still a really fun player, but I hope they're not shocking his development by putting him on a team with D'Angelo Russell and two out-of-place big men. The Warriors are a really interesting story. 
And I kind of talk about the Warriors and the Sun and the Suns, the Phoenix Suns, in the same light. They are the eight and nine seeds currently, but both coming into the season, probably championship aspirations. We know how poorly the end of the season went for the Suns, whereas how well the end of the season went for the Warriors with the championship. They're both 20 and 18. They're both only four and a half games out of first place. That's been the constant theme, both the Eastern Conference, both the Western Conference. The teams are really bunched up, all jumbled together. The difference between the top team and the worst team is not very far. These teams are close. These teams are all playing well, and that's what's been so fun about this NBA season. But we know about for these two teams, what they've had to go through and what they're going to be going through for a little longer. No Devin Booker, who's hurt. No Steph Curry, who's hurt. Somebody said this on TV uh, because I went to the game, the Knicks game against the Warriors. The Knicks blew out the Warriors. And I recapped that whole game and what I saw from the Knicks at the time. But somebody mentioned this on TV uh, that maybe the Warriors needed to find themselves without Steph Curry. They need to figure out who the second guy is, how it works with Poole. And I think Draymond has stepped up and taken a major step in the right direction being more involved and initiating more on the offense. Clay Thompson has turned into a different guy. He's taken over. And we saw it, 54 points. <laughs> um, and somebody said maybe the Steph injury is actually a good thing. Not for the long term. That Steph should come back, obviously. They, they should have Steph because they need Steph. But until he gets back, you can kind of figure out what the rest of the team looks like. What Kaminga looks like. What some of those guys look like. That's not a bad theory. But here's the thing. While Klay Thompson looks as good as he's looked since the injury, this Warriors team has one glaring issue this so far this season. They're 17 and 2 at home, which is insane. They're 30 and 5 they're 3, sorry, and 15 on the road. That's the problem. That's not a problem that I think is going to persist with them. They have the championship pedigree. They're getting Steph Curry back. Klay Thompson's turning back into himself. Draymond Green's getting more involved. Like I said, this is a team that looks like they're finding themselves. And if they're impossible to beat at home and they start to figure it out on the road, they're going to start soaring very soon. And I think they'll be right back where we saw them last year, if not in the finals, but making serious noise in the playoffs. As far as Phoenix, like I mentioned, it's going to be tougher for them. We don't know what Aiton is, if he's a consistent contributor. We don't know if Chris Paul at this point in his career is a consistent contributor. And that team also got blown out by the Knicks, and they looked really bad doing it without Devin Booker. I don't know how this team stays afloat as long as he's out. They need him back desperately, and they're going to have a lot of ground to make up once he gets back. I talked about it before the season. I'll, talk, I'll say it again. The Clippers remain the ultimate wild card. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, when right, if right, is a lethal combination. Throw in 70% of a healthy version of John Wall, that's a really good team. Their record is solid, but who knows what that looks like. Who knows if they ever do turn on that switch and figure out a way that they can make a run in the playoffs in what's been just an incredibly tough Western Conference. I said that I was going to get to the Knicks. I said that I was going to get to the Hawks. I also said I was going to get to Dallas. And I'm starting with the Hawks in Dallas because it's time to do what we do about every, I don't know, three, four months at this point. Let's revisit the Luka and Trey trade. Luka Doncic traded for Trey Young. We know about this between the Hawks and the Dallas Mavericks. And immediately, right away, the first reactions, first returns, early returns were Luka. Luka is the ultimate winner. Dallas wins the trade because Luka is great. 
Trey Young struggled. The numbers were there, but he struggled early in his NBA career. And then the 2020-21 season happens. Trey Young goes to Madison Square Garden, goes off. He goes to the conference finals, loses after getting hurt in a series against the Bucks, but just puts out an incredible display of a guy we talked about with Donovan Mitchell, a guy who could take over, a guy who can be the guy, a guy who could be the number one on a team. Um, and all of a sudden it flips. It's like, hey, Luka hasn't won much in Dallas, and while it's fun to watch Luka, is Trey Young, is he turning into that next guy? And since then it's been all downhill for Trey Young. And it flipped. Last year it was Luka. Luka has the incredible playoff series, beating the Phoenix Suns the way they did in that Game 7. And Atlanta now is 17-20, and 20, barely fighting for a playoff spot. And the team looks like a mess both on and off the court. The reports coming out about Trey Young not getting along with yet another head coach after the praise that Nate McMillan was getting not so long ago about how he turned Trey Young around. And he said, you, you give a little, I'll give a little more. And now all of a sudden he's leaving practices. He's not showing up for games. It's a miscommunication whether the coach approved that or not. All that stuff doesn't sound so great for the Trey Young camp. And we're back on the Luka side. As of today, on January 4th, 2023, the Mavs are the number four seed. And Luka Doncic is maybe on one of the best runs of his career. He might win the MVP. He has a legitimate claim at winning the MVP. But let's go back in time two weeks. About two weeks ago, the Mavs were 14-16. and 16. They've now won eight straight since then. That's not to take away from anything that happened in those eight games. But before those eight games, what did Luka look like? In the last six games that they've played, Luka Doncic scored 39 points, had 12 rebounds and 8 assists, had 51 points, 6 rebounds and 9 assists, 35 points, 12 rebounds and 13 assists, the 60-point triple-double against the Knicks, 60 points, 21 rebounds, 10 assists, 32 points, 9 rebounds, 9 assists, and 50 points, 8 rebounds, 10 assists. That's his numbers in the last six games. That's insanity. But is that a positive? Is it a positive for the Mavs that they needed Luka to put together those performances to win those games? You'd think that those wins with him putting up those numbers were huge wins against good teams. Not really. They beat Houston by five. Houston's not a very good team. Bottom of the barrel in the Western Conference. They beat San Antonio, another not very good team, by only one point. The game before that, they beat Houston, but only by 15. It's not like a blowout blowout in the NBA. They beat the Knicks by only five, and it took overtime and magic down the stretch. They beat the Lakers by nine on Christmas Day, and they beat Houston again by six. Jesus, they play Houston a lot. I guess when you're in that conference or division, whatever it is, you get to play Houston a ton. Good for them. But next they get Boston. That's not Houston. Boston's coming off a humiliating loss. And they get to play them in Dallas. How does that look for the Dallas Mavericks? Can Luka Magic go off in that game? Is that going to be enough? We know what it looks like when it comes to a player like Luka Doncic. We know how fun it is to watch at times, but how frustrating it is to watch. Not only because him getting on the refs, he legitimately thinks he's fouled on every single play. And whenever he actually fouls someone, he never thinks he committed it. I've never seen anything like it. Is he just incredibly delusional or is he stupid or is he just a liar? I don't know which one it is. 
but it makes a guy who is one of the most fun players to watch in the NBA really not fun to watch. And for his teammates, I don't think they're having fun watching him either because that's what they're doing mostly. They're standing around watching him as he does what basically James Harden did in Houston for years. Messes around, dribble, 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 and then kick it to the corner all of a sudden and you're expected your James your Tim Hardaway Jr. and you're expected to knock down a shot for him. I don't think that's a winning recipe. It has never been in the NBA, the high usage rate. Everyone else just standing around and not being involved. It's never been a winning recipe in the NBA. And so you talk about these two players who are actually pretty similar to each other. Trey Young is struggling right now, but when one is up, the other's down. It's kind of been a seesaw when you talk about this trade. But these are two of the most talented players in the league. And yet both the Hawks and the Mavericks somehow feel like losers in all this. And that's the weirdest part of this whole thing. When you talk about this trade, when you talk about who wins, who loses, is there a way where there was a trade between two great players, two guys who could be all-time great players? In the case of Luka, it looks like he is definitely headed that way. In the case of Trey Young, we still have to tell. But somehow these two franchises, you can't get rid of them because of how talented they are. But can you adapt? Can you get them to change the way they play, the way they are, their personalities? And turn this into a win for your team? Or can you figure out a way to win with them? I don't know. That's a huge question mark for both of these guys. Overall, like I said, the league has been extremely fun. Um, some stats to throw at you since Christmas. Luka's averaging 43 points a game, 12 rebounds, and 10 assists. Giannis is averaging 43 points, 15 rebounds, and 5 assists. Jokic is averaging 29 points, 10 rebounds, and 10 assists. Stats don't tell the whole story, as always. And speaking of the stats not telling the whole story, LeBron James averaging 37 points, 8 rebounds, and 6 assists at the age of 38. It's extremely impressive. And yet, through all that, the team keeps losing. Uh, he's been on a tear lately. But I think they're 3-7 and seven in the last 10. They will not be making it. Probably not even to the play-in tournament. And Joel Embiid, by the way, talked about the run he's been on. 35 points, 10 rebounds, 4.5 assists per game. You want to watch some teams that are not great teams, not teams that are fighting for playoff spots, like I mentioned, but are really fun to watch. Watch Houston. Watch Orlando. Watch Detroit. Watch San Antonio, OKC, Indiana. That's some uh, fun young basketball to watch from those teams. Now let's talk about the Knicks. They play San Antonio tonight. There are two significant dates. January 6, 2022, Julius Randle... That was the day he famously gives a thumbs down to the Madison Square Garden crowd. And January 2nd, 2023, less than a year later, he's back getting MVP chants from the Garden crowd while he's at the free throw line. And is Julius Randle, is that turnaround that he's had in that less than a calendar year, the greatest turnaround we've seen in New York sports recently? When a fan goes at it, or when a player, rather, goes at it with the fans in New York... It never ends well from the player, and the athlete almost never comes back from it. And yet here we are, and Julius Randle again feels underpaid, feels underappreciated, feels like he's one of the MVPs, feels like the Knicks fans are dying for him to make the All-Star game right now. And Knicks fans are in love with him again. And it's been his attitude, it's been the way he's carried himself, it's been the way he's led the team. And the things he said when he was getting the MVP chance, 
he's fully ingratiated back with the fans in New York, and I never thought that would happen. I rooted for this guy so hard two years ago. And last year when I went to the games, he was disinterested. During timeouts, he was walking over just standing with his his son and his wife, not in the team huddle. He wasn't playing defense. He wasn't hustling out there. And the one thing I noticed more than anything the last time I saw him play was his physicality and how hard he is playing out there. This team was on a downward spiral without Jalen Brunson. And he's the one who brought them out of it before Jalen Brunson did come back and they crushed the Phoenix Suns. And after that game against the Suns, Julius Randle, another incredible performance. This is what he had to say after the game. For the last month, Julius, you've been playing the best basketball of your entire career. I know that's exhausting, but also, what has been the most enjoyable part to you about this stretch? Uh, playing in front of the fans in the garden, man. It's a love. I love it. Thanks. I mean, that the, you hear the crowd reaction in that. Uh, I did not expect him to come to this point from where he was last year, like I said. And Brunson's part of it. Brunson's a major part of it. His attitude is a part of it, though. And something that I don't remember if it was Mike or Wally Zerbiak, who was on the game with Mike Breen, um, on Sunday said it, or Monday, rather, said it. Uh, It looks like on offense, like on defense, he's giving a full effort. On defense, he's fully engaged. And sometimes he still has lapses, and it's frustrating. But... On offense, it looks like he's playing at 80%. And one of the things I noticed on the road trip when they lost the games in San Antonio, when they lost the game in that crazy game in Dallas, it looked like Julius of last year a little more, or not even last year. It looked like Julius of two years ago. It was better than last year still. But it looked like Julius of two years ago where everything was running through him and he felt like he had to do so much and he had felt like he had to orchestrate the entire offense. When Jalen Brunson is on the floor, it feels like Julius Randle is playing, like I said, and like Wally or Mike said, I don't remember which one, at 80%. Like, he's not forcing everything. Everything seems calm and relaxed and easy and not as rushed and as, like, I don't want to say angry, but more, like, physical and just, I mean, when he gets inside and he gets to the rim and he's playing bully ball, yeah, that's physical. But he doesn't look like he's, like, he has to do that as much because... He's playing off of Brunson. He's playing off Grimes, and they've found a little chemistry where when Grimes is cutting to the rim or when Julius draws the double team and he can kick it out to a corner to Grimes for a three. It's incredible what he's found this season. He doesn't have to have the ball in his hands the entire time to be effective. We never knew what the ceiling of Julius Randle could look like. And I'm going to read some stats to you in a minute um, that tell you that he's really good. But obviously the stats were really good in 2020-21 season also. But in that season, I think the difference is that that season he had the ball 24-7, and we knew that the ceiling was limited to an extent. Now we're seeing what the ceiling could potentially be, where he can be as effective of a player without having to dominate the ball on every offensive possession. And with Jalen Brunson being the main focal point of the offense, and the offense running through him, and yet still he's been so effective. This one's interesting to me. In NBA history, no player has ever scored 2,000-plus points 800-plus rebounds, had 300-plus assists, and had more than 200 three-pointers made in a single season. Julius Randle is currently on pace for 1,981 points, so almost 2,000, 811 rebounds, which would be over, 315 assists, which would be over, 217 point, uh, 217 three-pointers made, which would be over. Julius Randle this season so far, 
just to put it in perspective, he's averaging 24 points, 10 rebounds, and 4 assists per game while shooting 47% from the field. For a comparison, Paul George is averaging 24 points, only 6 rebounds, 1 more assist at 5, but a lower shooting percentage at 46. Julius Randle, where he ranks currently in the league, he's ninth in points, he's 3rd in rebounds, He's 11th in three-pointers made. 11th in three-pointers made. He's not a guy who shoots a ton of three-pointers. He's 11th in the league. And he's 9th in free throws made, which is huge because he's getting to the line so often and he's been much more efficient than he's been in the past. It helps that he play every minute. These are not points per game. This is total points. This is not rebounds per game. It helps that he plays every minute of every game <laughs> because Tibbs is his coach. But like I said, this is better than the version of the 2020-21 season of Randall. And that is an attribute to Randall. It's a tribute to the head coach, Tom Thibodeau. But it's also a huge uh, tribute to Jalen Brunson and what he's done. And he's worth every penny. He's worth the fine. He's worth the second round pick for tampering. He's worth all of it. And just so that we can talk about where this Knicks team could potentially go, because I don't know where this Knicks team can go. But when you talk about young talent on this team, which is what I talked about a lot of the episode last time, Quentin Grimes, last 13 games, 14.8 points per game, 3.9 rebounds per game, 2.5 assists per game, all while shooting over 40%, over 41% from three, and defending the number one offensive player on the wing on the other team. So he's been able to give Jalen Brunson a break and make life easier for Jalen so that Jalen doesn't have to defend the point guard on the other team or the number one scorer on the other team because it's going to be Grimes defending him. That's what he gives to this team. Um, and he has been so effective since being inserted into the starting lineup. We're now seeing more and more of his game on a nightly basis as he, his confidence grows. More driving to the rim. More passing. More ability with the ball in his hands. More playmaking ability. And obviously the different shots we're seeing from him. Uh, it's, been, it's been fun to watch for this Knicks team as a whole. I don't know where this team is going to go. But remember we talked about earlier with the Jets season and how that spiraled? And it kind of comes back to the DeMar Hamlin thing, too. Sports are supposed to be fun. Sports are supposed to be an escape. They're supposed to bring people together. It's supposed to be a happy thing. And so I'm not going to look too far ahead. I'm not going to try and figure out what happens next with the Knicks. Maybe on another episode, another time. I kind of already did it a few episodes ago. But um, I'm just going to have fun. I'm going to enjoy because that's what it's supposed to be. I was in the studio on Sunday talking to Stone, uh, my coworker and producer on the fan um, and we were talking and after the Jets game, I was just kind of furious at the Jets team. And I looked at him and I just said, I was like, I'm not going to let this bother me. I'm not going to let this affect my mood. I was in a good mood on my, on Sunday. And so it's stupid to let these things affect you. And so, like I said, it's fun now. I'll enjoy it while it's fun. Like I said, the Rangers are fun now. They're 10-2-1 since that whole debacle against Chicago where Truba was yelling at his team and throwing his helmet on the ice. Kind of worked. That's what the captain's for. Seems like every night he has a huge hit on another guy, so that's fun to watch. And like I said, just a reminder, just a weird episode, maybe the most interesting episode I've ever done. Um, I'm glad I did talk about basketball, and I went a lot longer than I expected to go, but I hope you all enjoyed it. Um, if you did, please share this episode. I think what I talked about at the beginning of the episode is important. So uh, if you share this with someone and say, hey, listen to the first few minutes, um, I'd appreciate that. And until next time, like always, please like and subscribe and share with people you know that helps me a ton. I appreciate you all for listening. See ya. You were the best nights of my life. You got 
the light that always shines I miss the way that you move and the way I get high When you take me to your eyes Like I'm standing in the sky I see your subway cars and your old graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go, oh, oh, I ain't changed it oh, 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 Always on my road, I'm still New York You're the only oh, oh, oh that I'll ever know oh, oh, My concrete walls, I'm still New York Drive down Riverside See the birds flying on the high line With the sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks yeah. on a sold out night When the curtains close And the Broadway streets are alive hey. I need your heartbeat close Don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air When I land in another city And I I'm still here. 